Actually, I assumed that there would be a lot of hammer on this list, and the more I looked into it, the more I thought, no, they're more nightgowns. Oh, 100%. I don't know if there's a category we've ever done where somebody somewhere doesn't go, what about leprechauns? (laughs) (laughs) The dress is, like, so impractical because she has to be followed by this other person the entire time, but it's, like, such high impact. I feel like it belongs at number one for me. Well, welcome in. I guess it's Fashion Week on the Fright Club podcast, and welcome to it. We're going to celebrate. Uh, this is the Fright Club podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com, now embarking on our second decade of the Fright Club. And boy, we had a time last time out live at Gateway Film Center as we had our 10th anniversary special extravaganza Fright Fest. Yeah, it was crazy, and we want to thank uh, Peter Tonget of the Columbus Dispatch for coming out and covering yeah. that. There's a big... A big piece in the uh, Sunday Columbus Dispatch. Which is, as we tape this, today. It is And today. we haven't been able to find a copy. No. We went looking for one, and we right. haven't been able to find a copy yet, so we're going to go on the, a hunt after we're done taping here. You know what? We also want to thank Ashley Kimmel of Columbus Underground for covering it. Yep. Uh, and we want to thank everybody who came out. And, of course, we want to thank Chris Hamill and the Gateway Film Center for yeah. being such lovely hosts. For 10 for years. Low these many years. Man, it's crazy. But um, we had a lot of fun. And for getting us finally... <laughs> The Black Cat, which, as we've mentioned a number of times, we have been trying to program that movie for probably four years. And and Chris got us a gorgeous 4K restoration of that movie, which is such a weird, weird movie. And people loved it. They did love it. It's hard not to love. Um, And, of course, our topic was Unexpected Guests, uh, which is a fun, common theme in Mm -hmm. horror. So that was a fun thing to explore. Maddie thought that maybe Barbarian... And also, who invited them? Yeah, those are good. Uh, yeah, and, and real recent ones. They good would choices. Have been good. And Dustin was just shocked not to have heard anything about Leprechaun. Oh, Leprechaun. I don't know if there's a category we've ever done where somebody somewhere doesn't go, what about Leprechaun? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yes, those are appreciated choices. Thank you. Thank you for all the feedback. Yeah, and just thanks for coming out, for having a good time with us. It was it was super fun. And congrats to all the prize winners, man. We, had, we gave away some swag. We did give away some swag. Good that, stuff there. Yeah, that. A twenty four set. That was uh-huh. that's the best. That's my favorite one. It was nice. Yeah, it's nice. All right. Well, we'll try it again uh, next year for our eleventh annual. That's right. Extravaganza. But we're moving on, and we're talking about gowns, best gowns in horror, and we've got a great special guest. And how did you guys? First of all, we want to introduce our special guest, Melissa Limartina, who's also known as Aurora Gorealis, the uh, host of Shock Tale Hour, and we met. At Nightmares Film Festival yes. last year, this past October, we won one of her spectacular prizes, uh, one of her games at her at her show, and we want to thank her for coming on and thank her for this. Actually, the topic was her idea. So Thanks welcome. for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's so good to see you both again. You too. You too. So you, it was your idea for gowns. It was. Um, Hope presented some very good ideas. I believe one was tank tops, which yes. was intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> Not to spoil, perhaps a future could be, uh, list. could be. <laughs> but I thought evening gowns, and the reason I thought was um, because of a couple of my choices on the list, because they immediately popped in my mind, and I thought, let's do evening gowns. Well, this Which is, is a good. fun idea. Yeah, it is a fun idea, and I know right away I'm going to learn some things because I was behind the eight ball right away about 
just what constitutes an evening gown. So maybe as we go through this, you could educate people like me, like, okay, that's not a gown. That's a dress. That's a, that's a I don't know what. Well, uh, mostly we would go back and forth, and I would go, well, that's really a prom dress. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. That's really a wedding dress. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to mostly that listen and learn. That is a pantsuit, George. Pantsuit. Now, pantsuits I know. <laughs> I take umbrage. Pantsuits I know. Okay. Well, this is good, though. So um, you've got a few... There's a little bit of overlap in both your lists, mm-hmm. and there's also is there overlap on sort of the honorable mentions? Um, a little bit. I think that we both had a lot of love for the hunger, and basically mm-hmm. every single thing that Miriam Blaylock wears. Also, uh, the Love Witch. I think that was like I just assumed we'd have the Love Witch on here. I don't think she wears any evening gowns. See, that's however. where it started for me because right. that was the first movie I thought of. And then because you're like, no. Every that- single thing she wears is absolutely glorious. But not gowns. Oh, yeah. No. So fashionable. And there are some things in, in The Love Witch that I think start looking a little like evening gowns, mm-hmm. but really they're more like dressing gowns. For example, like there's this great shot of her doing a ritual and that black get up. Yeah. That really feels more dressing gown than evening gown. And yeah. I struggled with that too. Actually, I, I assumed that there would be a lot of hammer on this list. And the more I looked into it, the more I thought, no, they're more nightgowns. Oh, 100%. If we do a nightgown episode, Hammer is all over it. But the evening gowns are a little weaker. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I also thought, I know we both thought about Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula, but then Lucy's a little too wedding dress. And I thought as far as wedding dresses, I thought of Ready or Not. Right. Because that's such a great look as well. But a wedding dress. Right. And I didn't want to start blurring the lines too much. Yeah. And then for me also, Blood and Black Lace. I thought that I would go with, actually, I thought that I'd have more giallo on here. Um, but everything really that anyone wears in Blood and Black Lace is pretty spectacular. And yeah. then a couple, yeah. here's some that I thought about that I didn't put on here because they're really not horror movies. One is Mia Sarah's Black Gown in Legend. When she dances. Yes. Oh, yeah. Love yes. that. Um, and then similarly, Jennifer Connelly's white gown in Labyrinth. That's mm-hmm. pretty spectacular. And then Kristen Stewart's sparkles in Personal Shopper, which is kind of a ghost story, but mm-hmm. it's a far cry from horror. So I didn't finally make them. They didn't make the final list. And you had one of my favorites that I didn't even think about was made your almost list. Oh, okay, because I want to hear which one is one of your favorites there. So I thought, of course, of several looks in Death Becomes Her, because that's another oh, one that is yeah. great fashion start to finish. I thought about Angela in Night of the Demons. That's the one. But is that the one? That's yeah, the one. <laughs> not quite an evening gown, you know, but it's this great, like, punk party dress look but i thought maybe not an evening gown um helena bonham carter and frankenstein Mm -hmm. that movie is not good but she is just like serving looks from start to finish even when she's all burned up she's still wearing that dress she's bald she looks horrible but she looks beautiful still and then amy and fright night yes i not thought about that but that is that's a good that's a good dress and then with all the teeth that's a great transformation Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i love that Good stuff. Well, those are all not quite right. Make the list. So that mm-hmm. means that means somewhere on this list, uh, Leprechaun it makes an appearance. <laughs> I guess absolutely. It'll be interesting to see how that works out. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So you want to dive in? Just go back and forth. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we'll start. We'll start with your number five. Okay. What you got? Okay. My number five is Lucille's red gown in Crimson Peak, played by Jessica Chastain. 
we see her at the piano in this beautiful red gown, surrounded by people who are all in pastels, the men in black tuxes, but she is like this drop of blood in the middle of this ballroom, especially when um, Edith and, oh my goodness, what's the fiance's name? Thomas. So right, Thomas. So Edith and Thomas are dancing. And as they're dancing, you have this wide shot of the ballroom. And it's like this pool of blood encroaching in that ballroom. And it's absolutely beautiful. I also love just how skeletal that dress looked. It was designed to look like much of her wardrobe in that movie, to look like an exoskeleton in contrast to Edith's flowier look. Edith has a more fashionable look for the time. She's a Gibson girl, where Lucille is actually outdated for the time, which is very interesting in terms of her character. And side note, when I first saw that movie, I became obsessed with Edith's hand clasped belt. And Chris got me a recreation of that for Christmas one year. I actually wore it yesterday out to dinner. Yeah. So, but Lucille is my number five in that red gown. Well, you know, it's Del Toro, so it's going to look fantastic. Right. I can't think of Crimson Peak without thinking of the time that Hope spoiled the ending for everyone. We did. No! I did. (laughs) I, I pointed out one moment that conjures another moment in an older Del Toro movie without thinking to myself, oh, you just gave away the end of the movie. No. No. And we had a crowd we had a crowd, crowd of people and you just heard this audible groan. Yeah, because it, it wasn't out yet. I had reviewed it. So I'd, I'd seen a, a preview oh, of the movie. And was just and in yeah to a crowd of people at a fright club. I, I wrecked I wrecked the movie for all so, of those yeah, people. I guess. Yeah, thanks for thanks for picking that gap, George. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I want to hear your number five. Uh, my number five is really the only uh, modern film on my list, and it is uh, Jesse L. Fanning. It's the blue dress in the Neon Demon. There's a lot of there are a lot of great looks in this in this oh, film, yeah. of course, because yeah. it's a it's a you know it's a, a fashion. They're all high fashion models, and and uh, you know, front to back, they all just all of them look so cool the whole time. But this blue dress, it's uh, it's just this you know shiny, strapless, gorgeous kind of short blue dress, and she wears it, of course, um, covered in blood. She's covered in blood, but she also has these beautiful uh, little gems like on her face and throat. It's such a, and her hair is sort of piled up in this kind of angelic way. And it's, you know, um, Wendy Ruffin, of course, his movies all look stunning they do, yeah. anyway. And each one looks so different than the one before. Like if you compare Drive and that kind of beachy neon to to Bronson, which was all sort of earth tones and grays and prison, and to, to kind of juxtapose the, the kind of kabuki style makeup they use. I mean, the, what he does visually in films is amazing, and and it's so boldly colorful in this one. And I think that's what I like the most about the blue dress, and then all of the blood that's on her. It's just really it's 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 wildly beautiful. It's even more amazing to to think that he has said in interviews that he is colorblind. Oh my God! Which is amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, we had um, a colorblind DP on Call Girl of Cthulhu, the movie that Chris and I met making, and it's beautiful and it has wonderful contrasts of of light and color with pink and green, and it's absolutely gorgeous. And then we thought he was joking at first when That's he was colorblind, and he's not. It's incredible. Yeah, amazing. And the the other little bit I found out about this movie. 
Uh, Luca Guadagnino uh, has actually described the Neon Demon as the real remake of Suspiria, which oh. is interesting to think about. It is. You can see that, yeah. Yeah, but it is certainly colorful. So the blue dress, uh, our yep. number five. That's our number five. Okay, Absolutely. good start. Yeah. So uh, um, number four. Number four for me is Katrina, played by Grace Jones in Vamp. The first time we see her, she is so unlike all the other dancers in this strip club. She's instantly compelling, totally out there, dancing on this sort of chair, sort of human figure without a head. She comes out in this, she's crouched down this red column of spandex, the black elbow length gloves with the nails attached to them. And it's just a vision. And then she starts unzipping it and there's a zipper on the one sleeve and then a zipper that goes all the way down from the other sleeve, all the way down to the bottom of the gown. Mm. And it's so beautiful just as a, a function meets form sort of moment. And then, of course, what's underneath is this intricate body painting with these spirals of metal that you're wondering how those are even attached to her body as she does this amazing seductive dance. It's just a show-stopping moment for me. I think that that may be the first of all of Fry Club history. That may be the first time we've mentioned vamp, which is insane. Wow, I could I could be wrong. No, I think you might be right. Wow, yeah, and and, and you're right though. And she, you know, um, you knew she was going to cut a phenomenal figure no matter like going oh, into yeah. it you're like okay well clearly she's mm-hmm. going to walk into any room ever on planet earth and that's going to be the only thing you can look at but yes. what they did to like go oh you have no idea i mean it was it was just breathtaking um yes. and you know you watch it and thought yeah i'd let her kill me yeah, absolutely. For sure, absolutely 100% go ahead <laughs> go ahead your majesty whatever you'd like right now yeah it is um and she looks great, of course, the whole film. But the way yes. they introduce her, you just, you're like, wow. Okay, we'll move it over to uh, our number four. What are you looking at? So I knew that Roger Corman would have, uh, would have a place on this list. And you know what I think is funny about that is he's so well known for being a penny pincher. So I don't know where the costumes came from, but he costumed his leads quite well. So this one, I chose Barbara Steele. Um, from uh, as uh, Elizabeth Medina from The Pit and the Pendulum. And there are mm. a number of glorious costumes that she wears in this. But the one I love is a red dress. So it's like, um, it's this beautiful Victorian gown. And on top of it, it's almost like a vest that, that goes all the way down of red. And I think it's it's because you get a sense in this gown that she's not the innocent creature that Vincent Price believes her to be. Mm. And it's the first hint that she's really the villain in the movie. And Barbara Steele, I love her in everything, all the things. She's always (laughs) so glorious, but especially when she's evil. You know, she's just got that face that's like, oh, I'm going to kill someone and I'm going to love it. And you can always count on red to be symbolic. Mm -hmm. When you see red Mm -hmm. stand out so much like, oh, that means that's just not happenstance. Right. Right. Because she's got this gorgeous white gown in this as well Mm -hmm. when when she's being painted. But that, again, it's 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 pretending that she is something she isn't. But when she comes out in the red, you're like, yeah, Mm -hmm. shit is going to get real. <laughs> yeah, it's always, and you can expect a, a film like *The Pit and the Pendulum* to have 
those sorts of adornments. I mean, you make a good point about Roger Corman being a penny pincher, but it really doesn't look like it here at all. No, the no, the whole movie looks great, and yeah. and, and and it's one of I think uh, it's a credit to his genius because you know that they probably shot it on a soundstage with with props from somebody else's movie. Oh yeah. Or his own other <laughs> movies, but it it you know you're you're completely sucked into the the atmosphere that he creates and the you know and the um, walled up dungeon areas and stuff. Yeah, it looks amazing. And you have to throw in it has nothing to do with the evening gowns, but you know they added that the original film did not have that prologue, and they added that uh, to pad the running time, and it features <laughs> Sid Haig. <laughs> Always good to get a Sid Haig reference. It, yeah. <laughs> um, so that is our, yeah, that's our number four. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the Pit and the Pendulum. So that, oh, we're moving. We're moving up to number three. All right. Keeping it moving. My number three is Julia, played by Claire Higgins in Hellraiser 2. She is a fashion icon in this movie. I have a tattoo of her in her skinless white suit look, Ooh. drinking her Chardonnay from the beginning of the nice. film. Nice. But for this, of course, we're focusing on evening gowns. And so I chose this pastel purple that she wears. And for me, this pick is less about the gown because it's pretty simple. It's just this sort of sheath dress with a cross of fabric up at the top at the neckline. But it's such a contrast, this pastel color. You know, we're talking about colors signifying villains, but this could not look less like a villain as far as a wardrobe pick. But I love the way that it's juxtaposed with her actions when she's wearing it, like ripping out Frank's heart. She doesn't get a drop of blood on that dress. <laughs> of course, that great moment when she's um, trying, she's struggling in the hallway not to get sucked back. And she, of course, we think she's getting saved, but no, her skin and the entire gown come tearing off of her body in <laughs> one fell swoop in a fabulous moment, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, so this dress goes through a lot. And I know it's a old movie, but I still don't want to spoil any ending. So I don't want to say where the dress ends up in the end, but the dress has a journey of its own. And I love that. Um, it's so wild to me that this character was supposed to be the villain of the Hellraiser series. But of course, Pinhead, an iconic look in his own right, of course, took that spot. I would have loved to have seen a Hellraiser series with Julia as this evil queen of hell, but that's not what we got. But we do have her just serving evil, serving looks in those first two movies, and I'm grateful for that. Well, two <laughs> things. Number one, I all, that's great because I always love to talk about the Hellraiser franchise. And if you can and you don't mind, can you send us a picture of the tattoo? Yeah, sure. It's by Stacy Martin. Um, she's based in New York. She also did I Have a Tattoo of um, Lord Summer Isle from The Wicker Man. Oh, and she nice. did as well. So I'll wow. just send out an icon of, both of, those. of his own. Very <laughs> oh, nice. 100%. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> All right, we got a number three. Well, I want to say real quickly though oh, yes, about Julia because yeah, yeah. Um, because she is. Uh, I loved that she got to be so much more of a prominent character in the in the in Hellraiser too because she's outside of the Cenobites. She's easily the best character in the first movie. I mean, she's mm-hmm. so wonderful, and she does look cool in the first one. But like they they really lean into that in the second one because oh, every yeah. single thing she wears is just. Just chef's kiss. It's perfect, and and uh, and so I'm with you. I mean, uh, but I do love I love Pinhead, and uh, and the Cenobites are such a fascinating concept for villains. But oh, but yeah. yeah, she 
she never really got her due. I mean, two, it, it, it came close. It came close to really showcasing her. But, yeah, she's she's glorious. I love her. Good stuff. That's Hellraiser 2. Yep. So, yeah, so we've got a number, our own number three. So I'm going to go back to the movie that I spoiled lo, those many years ago. <laughs> oh, I don't remember. Can you tell that story? <laughs> and, and mine is, and I, I did go back and forth because it's that it's it's that party. It's that, you know, party where they introduce yeah. and everybody looks so glorious. Crimson Peak. Yeah. I chose Edith and her sort of buttery white gown. Well, see, that just goes to show you guys, you guys chose different characters. That yeah. shows you how uh, how gorgeous this movie looks in the, yeah. in the uh, costuming. Yeah, it really, and you know, uh, you said it earlier that Guillermo del Toro, all of his movies look so spectacular mm-hmm. and every yeah. detail um, is is so incredibly lo- sort of imaginatively thought out but I don't think we have uh, fashion isn't exactly uh, I think in play in his other films as it is here you know it's the look of the costumes always but I mean you know Pan's Labyrinth it's not like you're gonna it's wartime it's often wartime in his movies <laughs> um, but in this case you just got to see especially in this um, at this party everybody men women everybody looks so stunning and then here's little kind of kind of mousy Edith really standing out in this just pooling sort of buttery beautiful satin gown and it's it's nice because she, compared to um, Jessica Chastain's character, she really is a bit mousy, and she's the whole rest of the movie. She's kind of, she's kind of battling to not see herself as mousy, particularly compared to her new sister-in-law. Um, and and I love that. But at first, we get to see her in sort of all of her glory, so we can see what she will eventually, hopefully, be able to reclaim as the movie progresses. Well, talking about the look of the film, Del Toro has said that he wanted it to look like a Mario, Mario Bava Technicolor movie. Oh, there you go. And actually, the mm. costumes uh, specifically, some of them uh, feature feature-length turn-of-the-century fabrics. Oh, and, wow. and trim, so they got really, you know, almost got Robert Eggers with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it paid off, and uh, that is number three for us, uh, Edith character, the white gown in Crimson Peak. All right, we're into the top twos. We are, and yeah. we have the same dress at number two. I know, nice. I know, I, which I love because this is one of my favorite movies anyway. Um, and it was one of the first things that popped into my mind when you were asking me what other categories I might want to explore. This was the dress that um, gave us this category. And that is the Countess Bathory in Daughters of Darkness in her silver, but it's really a slight ombre because down at the bottom of it is a very dark, almost black sequin gown. She comes in through that French door. She's perfectly framed in that door. She's got that pop of red lip, those red nails. We move into the candlelight and the light is just bouncing off of those sequins. Absolutely beautiful. Just everything in that movie is beautiful. All three lead women in that movie, they all are completely different in style, but all are flawless in their looks. And I don't want to dominate the conversation about it, so I want you to go and... Pile praise on her as well. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, it, it, this dress was the first one I thought of when you when you recommended this category, and I thought, and then actually I went back and thought about all of her looks in this because also she's got one this like this sort of red, sheer, beautiful, billowy. I mean every yes. every garment in this movie on all three of them because uh, um, 
Yeah, because they really do. They all have very specific personalities that are defined by their wardrobes. But the wardrobe everywhere in this movie is just stunning. But yeah, Delphine Sirik, who is perfect in oh, this yes. in this film as Countess yes. Bathory, she's just so like just she's just so effortlessly regal and weary and seductive. She's so perfect in this movie, and that yeah, it, it, you're right. It's the and I love that it's kind of like a turtleneck as well. Like it's a really unusual. It's an unusual gown, this sparkles. Yeah. But it is the way that the um, candlelight bounces off of it that makes her look really um, supernatural, like ethereal oh, and, and, and stunning. And she's another one where I would be like, yes, you can kill me. You may. <laughs> oh, without question. Absolutely. Like, And I that overhead shot when um, she and Valerie are drinking Stefan's blood and it's just, she's just like, draped over the carpet i'm just like yes please like i will be stefan 100 and talking about it being a turtleneck and really covering her entire body i think is part of what makes that dress so effective because like you said it makes her look supernatural and it makes her entire body glow Mm -hmm. in this otherworldly way and what's interesting is just how commanding a presence she is but when she's wearing that gown so much of what she's saying is about her vulnerability you know she keeps asking um and pleading to be loved Mm -hmm. which is so fascinating for that character that you have this like flawless creature who is just desperate to be loved and cared for and so insecure about it yeah she's it's it's one of the all-time great horror movie performances i think um she's just perfect in that film. And I love the contrast of the look of the film with the sound of the film, all the different accents. Yeah. Because this was yeah. this was yeah. one that you, you might think a lot of films like this got dubbed afterwards. Um, but they all use their own voice. And her and she has a great voice, oh, by the way. Oh, Fantastic voice. But all the different accents are clashing. It, yeah. it makes it... But, a, it's, it it's, just, but it's interesting because they're all at this... They're all at this sort of abandoned, luxurious hotel. Right. It's off-season. And so, in a way, it fits mm-hmm. because it's all of the... It's like co- a collection of people from everywhere who are going nowhere, mm-hmm. and they're just at this Yeah. Spot. No, I think it just helps the, the overall feeling of just something's not quite right. Yeah. You know, something's a little yeah. off. Yeah. It all looks so so gorgeous and, and inviting, but something, yeah, something's yeah. just not right here. Yeah. yeah. You but feel the, a little bit lost. A little yeah, bit, I think yeah. That's yeah. Part of yeah. It. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Where are we? So that's number two for on both of our yeah. lists. So you know what? That's a good time before we get to the number ones. Let's talk about your, your um, alter ego. Shall we say? You know, and, and also, because sure. she also is a filmmaker. Oh, I know. So we should spend a little time there as well. Yeah, but we talked about before we actually sort of met this past year at Nightmares Film Festival because you were a new addition to Nightmares, and I hope it's going to be a continuing addition because we thought it was not just because we won. <laughs> we thought it was a fantastic <laughs> way to get everybody together and have some fun. So talk about your, your character and your show. Thank you. Yeah. And so um, it's funny because we had been at Nightmares Film Festival the year before with our film, the Out There Halloween Megatape, which is a sequel to the WNUF Halloween special. And I started talking to Jason about my program, Shocktail Hour, as Aurora Gorealis, and that I would love to be part of the festival because I think Nightmares Film Festival, I could go on and on about how special it is and what a welcoming oh, yes. we often place do. it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just phenomenal. And 
the the people you meet, the comfort level that it brings for all of these filmmakers, it feels like coming home. And so I wanted to help create something beyond just all of us watching and enjoying each other's films, but places where we could have some fun together. And mm -hmm. Jason was totally on board, which was wonderful. So I brought my Tournament of Terror to Nightmares Film Festival, which was a live game show. But typically what I do for my shows is more of a traditional horror hosting program where I do segments. I always make a cocktail and a mocktail for my shows. I've been partnering with Terror Vision for a little while now for some of their um, Blu-ray and DVD releases where I'm doing a special bonus feature of full episodes of Shocktail Hour for some of their titles, like Cannibal Campout, uh, What Happens Next Will Scare You, President's Day coming up. And that's been great fun. So I hope to continue doing that. But for me, Shocktail Hour is all about creating a fun experience for people who are into horror but want to enjoy it in a slightly different way. We do a lot of sketch comedy sort of things with it, a little bit beyond the typical horror host where we're mixing things up and not just showing the same public domain movies that I think a lot of horror hosts get sort of pigeonholed uh -huh. into having yeah. to do just because of cost, you know? Sure. Uh, so <laughs> We try to bring something new to it. So I have a DVD out that's more of a party tape approach where we're remixing old movies and doing sketches and the cocktails and things like that. Well, it was I thought it was a perfect mix, a perfect addition to Nightmares Film Festival uh, or, or any sort of film festival like that because it's just a nice break. You know, we're watching these great films and everything, and that's why we're there. But then let's get social for a little bit. Let's have a little fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. But let's talk a little bit about your films, too, because they um, are they are fun as well. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So I actually just directed my first feature this past year and I wish I could talk about it more, but it hasn't been officially announced or in post-production now. Okay. Um, but prior to that, I've been working as a producer on films that my husband, Chris Lamartina, has directed. So Out There, Halloween, Megatape, What Happens Next Will Scare You, both horror comedies. So we really gravitate toward horror comedy because of that fun aspect of it, you know, and I love horror. I love all kinds of horror, everything from gory slasher stuff to psychological horror. But I feel like horror comedy is always just this light, wonderful little cake, you know, where it's like <laughs> it's horror. Yes. But you're also in this heightened sense of ridiculousness a lot of the time, whether it's through characters or through the situations you're in. I know that you guys are also uh, horror comedy makers. Oh, yeah. I've seen Obstacle Corpse. It's very enjoyable. Oh, thank <laughs> you. But, you know, it's sort of like those that juxtaposition of like laughing and screaming, right? There's mm -hmm. sort of two sides of the same coin where it's just this like emotional release, but you're playing with sort of how how those two things can be related and live in the same world, which is a lot of fun and I think always a challenge, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with you. And um, and I remember, uh, first of all, I remember from the, the first time we saw you at Nightmares years ago when you were there with your film, that you were dressed like candy corn and were the, the cutest <laughs> human being I had ever seen. And and then also how um, how the audience reacted to your film, because it's just it's just a joy and people loved it. They did. I'm so glad to hear that. That makes me so happy. I I love the movie. It was so much fun making. We made that one during the pandemic. You know, we were um, 
we were chugging right along, leading right up till everything shutting down. We had a big crowd scene, uh, my character, Ivy Sparks, her talk show. We were all set to film that. Um, we had it scheduled for that spring, you know, 50 to 75 extras as the audience, oh, all no. of this. And of course, that didn't happen. And as the pandemic continued and it got safer to be around people again, we would bring people over and set their wardrobe on our front porch to film stuff outside. They'd get ready in their cars. We'd meet up outside and shoot stuff, progressing all the way up to where we could all safely be together. But it meant that that film took like five years to make, which is oh. insane. <laughs> wow. For like a little horror comedy, like found footage movie. <laughs> Well, it worked out. It did. Yeah, I mean, it, it worked Thank out. You. And it's, it's so fun. <laughs> it's such a fun film. And I'm, I'm so glad that we got a chance to meet you. And then, yeah, as George was saying, the, the Shocktail Hour was so much fun. It was such a great addition to Nightmares this year. And we both said immediately, we hope that, we hope that you come back every year. Yes. I hope so, too. Thank you so much. I really hope so. I've already bothered them about it. You know, I've bothered Jason and Chris. Like, hey, guys, what about next year? <laughs> well, I, think it was, I think it was a big hit. <laughs> it, I mean, was. it was. It was a big it hit. It was standing room only in there. Yes, it was. Yeah, so. it was. It was a lot of fun. I did have to kick people out for talking too much That's but it's right. always fun it's always fun to be a little mean as aurora <laughs> well it's not you it's aurora that's right exactly that's you right. know you can't be blamed and she does not like anyone stealing her spotlight <laughs> understandable understandable okay good stuff so we're up to number, number one. one on each of ours okay. yeah what's at the top of your so, list over there my number one so countess bathory was going to be my number one and then as I started listing everything, I thought, oh, no, I think she gets edged out by this one. And this one, some people think that this movie is not horror. I think it is horror. It's going on my list. So Helen Mirren's last look as Georgina in The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. The another film that start to finish has amazing fashion in it. Of course, of course Jean-Paul Gaultier is the designer of it, so you would expect nothing less. But that final look, she's finally come into her own. She's wearing this gown that looks like a cage, but is the exact opposite of what has been happening with her character. So there's this beautiful irony to what she's wearing. It has this feather collar to it. And then, as if it can't get any better, there's an attendant holding this long train behind her. So this cage dress continues behind her and every move she makes is countered by this attendant holding onto her dress. It's just a stunning, powerful image of this woman who has endured such abuse and such tragedy and heartbreak to just stand tall, come into her own and take complete charge of the situation in the last scene of that movie. It's just absolutely electric it's show-stopping this woman claiming her power the dress is like so impractical because she has to be followed by this other person the entire time but it's like such high impact i feel like it belongs at number one for me because it is breathtaking when you see it for the first time you think that the fashion in that movie has already reached a pinnacle particularly with the way that as characters move into different spaces on the set, their wardrobe, particularly Georgina's, will change color. It's mm -hmm. the same exact dress, but it changes color moving through these spaces. And you think, oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Can't get better than that. And then that dress hits the screen and you're floored. And of course, it doesn't 
hurt to have it worn by the commanding presence of Helen Mirren. Yeah, she's oh, she's a goddess. And yes. this movie knows it, you know? Yes. I mean, yeah, and that when she comes out at the end, you're right, and she's just like, I own this world, and mm-hmm. look at me in all mm-hmm. of my glory. Yeah, there's there's not much that you've ever seen in your life as gorgeous as Helen Mirren in that last dress. Yes, yes. And, it, yeah. and you're right. I mean, the way fashion works throughout that, and I would not have originally thought of this as a horror film, but um, it is a cannibal film, so right. I, I think there where you it, go. Yeah, where it ends right. up, yeah. 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 Um, and you're right, the, 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 just the, the fashion throughout this movie and the way they use it, you know, it's, it's, not, just, uh, it's just not just eye candy. I mean, they really use it to, to make specific um, uh, statements as the movie progresses is just yeah. fascinating. Um, yeah, I love this pick. Uh, yeah, that's a great pick. Uh, yeah. Sort of a little bit of in from left field, but totally yeah. works. Yeah, uh, at number one. So, and that takes. <laughs> and I think there's a, there's some good gore in that movie too that yes. I think edges it. You know, there's some violence and murder in that movie that I think edges it also into horror. Plus, I mean, it's a horrifying situation yes. all the way around. Yeah. So I say it counts. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely say it counts. Uh, what counts for us at number one? Well, um, uh, Hazel Court, and I, uh, as Juliana in The Mask of the Red Death. Yeah. So I could have chosen about seven different Hazel Court looks from about five different movies. Um, and I bounced back and forth between the red dress in The Mask of the Red Dress, uh, Red Death, or the green one, because this emerald green one is also just stunning on her. But um, but because the red dress uh, is is the climax of the film and like the anguish that she has as she's wearing it. And she's so much her um, when she has this on is this floor length, shoulderless, beautiful gown. And um, and she does so much more with her body when she's in this dress. Her she reaches her arms out in desperation. Um, And then, of course, she's she's all all read herself at one point. Uh, I just thought that it was the drama in, in in with her in this dress was just spectacular. I do. It's it's another Roger Corman, yeah. and it is another one where uh, the fashion throughout is just eye popping. Oh yeah, because you've got a, a teenage uh, Jane Asher oh, yeah. in there as well with oh, a bunch yeah. of gowns. Well, and then also just this orgy, this party, and you know from from room to room, and the way the color scheme is so um, masterfully. Brought into this, it's it's funny because Roger Corman did a shit ton of Poe films, and almost none Eight, of them, I think. almost none of them have anything to do with the right. source material. <laughs> and I think that the Mask of the Red Death to me seemed like the hardest one to actually turn into a film, and I think that he keeps it closest to the source material. I think Mask of the Red Death is the closest to an actual translation of Poe than any of his other any of the other Roger Corman Poe films. And uh, and of course Vincent Price is perfect in this oh, mo- yeah. in this role. He's just wonderful. I think he starred in all but one of them for Roger Corman. All the, all the Poe movies he made, almost all were Vincent Price. Yeah, that sounds right. I love uh, Usher as well, and the Follow House mm-hmm. Usher, and that that has one good gown, but it's not good enough to have made this list. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I do. I think uh, Hazel Court, she's another just classic, you know, and she wore things. She wore them. You know, it's like you put that dress on somebody else and you might not recognize how regal the dress really is, but Hazel Court knew how to wear a gown. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's another good reminder that it's not just, not just the gown, but uh, who's wearing it helps yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, good point. So that is our number one, the red gown and the mask of the red death. And uh, boy, that's a good, that's a good list. That's a good piece of fashion week. Yes, I right think there. so. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> 
What a blast. Yeah, it is a lot of fun, and, so, and one that we probably wouldn't have thought of. No. So, see, we get these great ideas from That's the guests. That's right. Well, so we we're, we're fashionably challenged. We are. So. We are fashionably <laughs> challenged. <laughs> and one of us doesn't know what type of gown is another type of gown. Right. So, but uh, thank helps. you so much, yeah. Melissa Martina. You brought so much insight that we would have lacked. So thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for having me. I had so much fun. And we talked a little bit about your character and your show, but where can people find you in all your different endeavors? Yeah, so people can find me at shocktailhour.com. Pick up a copy of that DVD. Do it. Show it at your next party. Absolutely. Um, you can follow me at Melissa La Martina on Instagram or at Aurora underscore Gorealis on Instagram or Aurora Gorealis on Twitter to see what I'm up to and uh, see where my travels are taking me. Once we actually can announce the film I directed, right. that'll be the first place that you'll see those. So Please stay tuned because I can't wait to share that with the world. It's I'm chomping at the bit to do so. Well, we can't wait to hear about <laughs> That's it. That's right. We can't wait to see it. And just because I love a good title and a good character name, how did you come up with Aurora Gorealis? So just uh, love of puns. I came up with a whole list that was tied to different sorts of characters, you know? And so it came down to Aurora Gorealis and Betty Batwings. But Betty Batwings <laughs> would have been a more sort of homemakery, like horror battery, right. Betty Crocker sure. sort of vibe. But I wanted Aurora to be an undead dame, mm. you know, and to sort of sweep into a room to wear my share of gowns. So that's where that's where I landed with that. I love it. I love it. Well, we're looking ahead to our next uh, Fright Club Live. Mm -hmm. We're going to be back at Gateway Film Center, home away from home. That'll be Friday, February 9th. And we're going to talk about towns that won't let go. That's right. And we're going to show the batshit crazy wake-in fright. We are going to show that movie, which I'm very excited to talk about. Um, it came up, actually, on a podcast uh Alcoholics, Alcoholics, the Alcoholics yeah. podcast not too long ago, and we realized in talking about it, nobody had seen it. Yeah. Nobody there in our studio audience. And that's where audience. we live. Yeah, you and haven't so like, seen oh, well, it. Then. Oh. That needs to be rectified. So thank you, Chris <laughs> Hamill, for getting that movie for us. And we have recently uh, been showing a short film in advance of the feature. So we'll do the podcast. We'll show us a little short movie and then show the feature. And this month, we're going to show our first short feature. We're going to show Godspeed. A pandemic production, that's right, speaking a pandemic of. Production. Yeah, so. one Very actor. Cool. Uh, one set, yeah, that was crazy. And then the next one in the studio will be, of course, our annual Skeletons in the Closet. Yeah. So we're going to look at the, the Oscar nominations. Uh, and, and the bad gonna... horror movie pass that's of right. Oscar contenders. That's which right. we've been doing every year, and that's always a lot of fun. It is. We can find... This is where usually we, we focus on good movies. Here we like to find the bad oh, ones. Oh, yeah, the very, very worst that these guys <laughs> made before, you know... Before they were Oscar contenders, right. for sure. And there's some fun ones in yeah, there. there so that's that's what we got coming uh, in the next few weeks. And, of course, you can always find uh, this podcast and uh, everything we're up to on uh, the main website at madwolf.com. Also, you can find us on Twitter. It's Fright Club Pod. We've got a dedicated Fright Club Podcast Facebook group at Fright Club Podcast on uh, Facebook. And so, we're on Instagram now. We are on Instagram. Yes, that's right. you just got us on Instagram. That's right, at Fright Club Live. So we're all over. We are. We're all over. And, of course, uh, Mad Wolf uh, Columbus on Facebook and Instagram and threads. That's right. I take care of the threads. See, we have to divide and conquer with we all do. these social medias. <laughs> yes. The point is you can find us plenty of ways. That's and we, right. Just we, Google we it. hope you will. <laughs> we hope you will. So Aurora Gorealis, Melissa LaMartina, thank you again. This has been so much fun. 
Thank you. It was a lot of fun. I love thinking about films that I love in new ways. So this yes. was a good opportunity for that. Exactly yeah, it really right. was. It was. Exactly right. So uh, look up Melissa and Aurora Gorealis, and we hope to hear from you as well. And until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. This is Melissa La Martina, a.k.a. Aurora Gorealis. Stay frightful, my friends. Yeah.